Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hi, everybody. It's Liam. We recorded this episode a few days before George Floyd was murdered by police in Minneapolis, Minnesota, before Tony McDade was murdered by police in Tallahassee, Florida, and after Breonna Taylor and many more black Americans were murdered by police in America. We wanted to use this intro to state that Black Lives Matter and that we stand in solidarity with those putting themselves on the line to fight against a racist white supremacist government and law enforcement. And if you look in the show notes, you can find ways to help and support those doing good work. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Yerasimos Fragopoulos. (laughs) God damn it. And this is... Oeuvre Busters. I don't think that was the theme song. Actually, the theme song to this is that cigarette song. Does it irritate you to no end when they drop... Um, they drop in the Superman theme to this movie and the Batman theme occasionally? Because it irritates me to no end. It's like lobster you know stuffed with tacos. It's... Ooh... That sounds actually enticing. Um, no, actually, it kind of um, it's funny. Irritate? No, it made me nostalgic for better films. Though. That's the problem. Like I'm stuck. I'm stuck watching <laughs> this movie. I don't want to be thinking about better movies. What? Uh, speaking of movies, George, what movie are we talking about? Liam, today we're discussing the very controversial. This is actually probably the most controversial film we've ever and done. And a great week to discuss it because of the and recent great... news, which we'll talk about. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, 2017's Justice League, directed by Zack Snyder slash Joss Whedon, so, which I guess obviously we should talk about. Yeah, we, should we just talk about the news now and get it over with? I kind of want to save it because, and the reason that I want to save it, uh, well, I guess that we can talk about the news and then we can talk about our feelings about the news. What's the news? So the news is obviously for everybody who's been under a rock, of course, or for people who thankfully don't have this kind of stuff on their cultural radar. Yeah, like people with real lives. Oh my God, yeah, exactly. If you're not Um, an angry white man, you may not have heard. You may not have heard the greatest news since (sighs) your... Snyder Cut. Since your your man won the 2016 election. Um, <laughs> is that the um, the Snyder the Schneider Snyder cut Snyder cut confirmed Snyder, Snyder not Schneider Schneider makes him sound Schneider. cooler even though yeah. yes go ahead um, we'll be coming out in 2021 uh, on HBO Max uh, what's it called HBO Max yeah yes. and apparently obviously um, his initial cut of this film was something like four hours long and he cut it down to two and a half hours and. I do have to say one thing when I when I first started watching this film yesterday, and I saw it about like one and a half times actually. I watched it. I had it running in the background earlier today. We well, have was to have something to masturbate to. Yeah, yeah. While I was uh, uh, sweeping, uh, sweeping and masturbating and watching, is that I was shocked that this film was under two hours because I thought it was as bloated as Batman v Superman. So I think it's. Uh, I think the the. The interesting thing about the Zack Schneider cut is that I think this announcement confirms that it never actually existed, um, which I think is very interesting. Let's let's talk about the movie uh, that we saw, and then I want to come back to it, because I, I actually have a lot of 
mixed feelings about this this whole thing. Um, but yes, you're right. This film was directed by Zack Schneider and then edited. Uh, su- the, uh, su- the editing was supervised by Joss Whedon, who then worked on the script and then reshot key sequences from the movie in June of 2017 with the movie coming out in November 17. And there are claims that as much as 80% of the movie was reshot. But Charles Roven, the producer, says like 80% of the movie you see is the movie that Zack Schneider wanted to make. So let's talk about it. There's some, there's a Hollywood Reporter article that I don't know if you got a chance to look at, but has some interesting tidbits about the production. Do you want to tell us what happens in this movie? Sure, I'll try. So this film picks up from uh, 2016's Batman v Superman with obviously the death of Superman. Spoiler. <gasps> um, so the film the film begins with Batman as again played by Ben Affleck. And I think uh, a fighting. less a less yes. good performance, a, a far totally. less good performance than what than he is oh gives my. in uh, Batman v Superman. So much stiffer. Yeah. Like the the existential exhaustion that Bruce Wayne has in the previous film is kind of like this aura to the character and this film becomes like internalized and i feel like when i see affleck on the screen i could tell he's just like what am i doing here right. like this is well, like i'm a just cashing extra, a paycheck extra textual stuff that we could talk about including his like issues with mental health and substance abuse that were like reaching a peak with this movie which is you know there's a lot of sadness around the production of yes. these movies totally so superman um, dies batman fights a parademon <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of like this extraterrestrial being that is a kind of harbinger of sorts that has come to Earth in the wake of Superman's oh, death. Oh, real quick, the actor that yes. he confronts in that scene, the actor who um, who, who the has, burglar is in the beginning. Uh, Holt McCallany, who plays Bill Tench on oh. Mindhunter, who's in a lot of David Fincher movies and is just the fucking best and is fluent in French because he studied clowning at Ecole Jacques Lecoq, the premier <laughs> clowning institute in France, which I considered going to at a different time in my life. I believe they just call him miming. Miming. Is Get the, the fuck out of here with your... The higher elevator? No, I think clowning. Uh, it's Well, it's French clowning, so it's more sophisticated. Now, now I'm getting like flashbacks of the, those episodes, those early episodes of uh, Zach Galifianakis's Baskets. Have you ever seen no, Baskets? No, I haven't watched it. I, sh- I should watch oh, yeah. it. I, I like that the this character- whole episode is just going to be digressions where we don't get through the plot <laughs> summary of the movie. <laughs> The character goes to this like very prestigious. I, w- I mean, obviously, it's probably based on the same thing, but it goes to this very prestigious clown school in France, no less. Yeah, anyway, totally. Um, so Cole Jack yeah. So Batman fights, and it's what's really also fascinating about the scene. Just quickly, is that actually Batman does not initially. It seems like Batman is again doing that thing that he loves to do, and that is protecting private property and taking down this petty burglar. But he actually lets him go, which is surprising. He does let him go. Well, he has to fight a yeah. parademon. Why does the parademon... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Nothing matters <laughs> why, why anymore. Does, why does the parademon die no, for why some does, strange Why reason? does he show up? Why is he there? Why is he chasing a burglar? Oh, for fear. I'm not saying it makes sense. For fear? But for fear, yeah. What? Yeah, because the parademons are attracted to fear. Oh, so he's... You- that's that's why he ha- that's why he hangs off the building. So, Remember, he says like, uh, "Fuck that." He says like, "Fuck that." I need you. Oh yeah, this no, is so dude, no, this stupid. is stupid. All right, let's get I, through I the thought... plot summary and then end the episode early. <laughs> We've been recording for fifty minutes yeah, already. It's, it's Forty-five. We're, it's longer than the movie. <laughs> so Batman uses this guy's fear to get this parademon to come to him, so he could I don't know fight it or whatever. Anyway. It's at this moment that Batman's like, oh, shit, I should probably go after those metahumans that I found out about from the previous film. And the next kind of like half hour, 45 minutes is about him like getting the band together. So he goes after Aquaman. He tries to recruit the Flash. Um, Wonder Woman finds him and she is told to kind of recruit Cyborg, Victor Stone. Um, It's at this point that Wonder Woman tells Batman that the Parademons are a harbinger of sort for Steppenwolf. I like to dream, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Do the magic carpet carpet ride. Who is this kind of just nondescript mythological creature who we find out apparently tried to take over the Earth millennia ago. And the humans and the Amazonians and the Atlanteans all combined to defeat him and his mother boxes. That's in the past. Which is a, mother box is what is I a, call George off air. Aw, which is a fucking term this film uses. Why don't they says, just call it MacGuffin? Why don't they just commit oh and call it the MacGuffin? I just can't believe. It's like, un- mother box sounds so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So basically then the film becomes about them trying to kind of keep these mother boxes away from Steppenwolf who's trying to collect them. At some point they get one of these boxes and they they think like, oh shit, 
Oh, well, they fight Steppenwolf and they fail miserably in trying to defeat him at this point, which in actually is kind of like a, a really cool, I think, action sequence. But anyway. Yeah, it's one of the better stat. And I actually think the sequence um, in Amazonia, is it Amazonia? Yes. That's a pretty good sequence too. Armand White's that, a big fan. That is a really good sequence. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. Um, so basically they get one of these boxes and then they realize or they think like, oh, hey, shit, maybe we can use this box to resurrect Superman. Which is kind of a real, like, again, the, the plot just basically needs them to come to that logical conclusion. And that's what they do. They resurrect Superman. He's reborn, but he doesn't really recognize them. So they fight. And at that point, Lois Lane shows up and reminds him of who he is. And then he basically kind of joins, obviously, the Justice League in confronting Steppenwolf one final time in Russia. I Northern believe. Russia. Not... You know that place, Northern Russia? Uh, that nondescript place, Northern Russia, to, um, yeah, and they fight him in Northern Russia, and they beat the shit out of him. And once Superman shows up on the scene, it's kind of not even a fight. Yeah, he kind of just shows up and kicks some ass. Um, and there are, by the way, sorry, there are also some brief references, or like one or two references to Darkseid, who clearly this film was kind of like the Thanos of the Marvel universe. Well, they universe, kind of, of the, set him up in universe. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, so you sort of they expect do. to see him in this one, and then you just don't. Um so this movie stars Ben Affleck as, sorry, this film stars Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Henry Cavill as Kal-El slash Clark, p- porn stash Kent slash Superman, Amy Adams as Lois Lane, Gal Gadot in a, also a very, very, her weakest performance so far as Wonder Woman. Agreed. Uh, as Diana Prince slash Wonder Woman, Ezra Miller, the best thing about the movie as Barry Allen slash Agreed. The Flash, Momoa as Arthur Curry slash Aquaman. We don't refer to Jason Momoa know, by his Momoa. Christian name. Ray Fisher um, doing just just, just just shit on all over in this movie as Victor Stone <laughs> slash Cyborg. Jeremy Irons as sexy Alfred Pennyworth. Diane Lane as one scene Martha Kent. Um, the great Connie Nielsen as Queen Hippolyta. And J.K. Simmons as James Gordon. You know, I didn't get to say this in our last episode, but I feel like part of the thing that the executives at DC must have said, they must have been like, Zach, we want to make Christopher Nolan's Batman, that kind of thing, but make it sexy. So like give everyone Ooh. really great Warby Parker glasses and make sure everybody's ripped and make sure all their clothes have like a kind of like, they're kind of like, you know, a little like from the, from the Frank and Oak catalog and they all look very cool. Like, like, this is the sexiest Alfred Pennyworth is ever going to be. And it's definitely oh, the sexiest yeah. that, that JK Simmons and JK Simmons is barely in the movie. It's such a waste. Um, but uh, boy, oof, oof, oof. Good for him for cashing in that check though. Um, yeah. This took like f- 10 years to make. They went through many different versions. It briefly, there was a period where they were shooting a version of this in Australia with George Miller directing it. And what's his name? Um, who's the actor from call me by your name in the social network? Um, Army Hammer oh, was playing Army Superman. Hammer. I'm sorry, Whoa. Batman. He was playing Batman, which I think would be a great Whoa. take on it. Um, yeah. They even shot some of the movie and then they couldn't finish it. And it was actually very controversial, I think, in Australia because it would have brought huge production to Australia. Damn. Now I just want to see like a call me by your name, like with Batman and Robin. Call me by your bat. <laughs> call me. Well, you know, call, yeah. Where they're just like, you know, fucking each other and the one's calling the one Batman, the other one's calling the one uh, Robin. Um, I think it would work. I, it'd be great. Um, Schneider's cut was deemed unwatchable. So Whedon took over. And then there was sort of a tragic situation in Zack Schneider's family. So he couldn't finish the movie. Well, so my um, understanding thing is that basically that it was unwatchable because there was most of the post-production like special effects stuff wasn't done right somebody described it as like a car without the doors or without like and it was four hours long but i don't know how and true it was four and hours we don't long. know how true any of this is like that's the thing like the hollywood reporter piece is really interesting but um there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack i think that's uh, okay so spoiler alert i don't think this movie is very good I get very excited at the idea of seeing some of these characters on screen. Like, I really am like, holy shit, like Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, like characters I really think are cool. Um, And that almost is enough as a selling point. Like, that's enough for me to want to watch this movie. But, you know, we're in this age of like IP exhaustion where we're just like, "How how do we get all these characters together? And my biggest complaint about this movie is that despite having like such great characters, because to me... Like before, 
Avenger like in 2007 2008 before Iron Man came out I didn't really give a fuck about Marvel outside of like I kind of liked Captain America and I've always loved Spider-Man but like I didn't care about the Avengers but like Mm -hmm. I've always thought that DC was much 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 cooler and more interesting than Marvel like I think and I think that that so to see them all on the big screen is really exciting to me but this movie just doesn't it has this weird blend of like Schneider's like faux nihilism, which we talked about in our episode with Michael Carroll, meets this like world building, very clear three act Josh Whedon esque humor to it that like mm-hmm. never. It feels like you just or the human. He was like, okay, I have like, three minute, three months. Let me just remake Avengers, but with none of the warmth. So it just it feels like an exercise as opposed to a movie. It's funny you should say that thing too, and maybe we could talk about this a little bit later in terms of the release of. The cut or the news that the cut is being released. But sorry, I just every time that, every time you say it, I I I come a little bit because I'm just so excited. <laughs> just a little, just a, just little, a little drip, bit. not not an entire hey, bus, say, but say just a Schneider little cut. Schneider cut. <laughs> what if I uh yeah if like um we do like some sort of tantric thing and like Schneider. <laughs> So good. But the I- Hang on, I just got to polish my machine guns. The idea of brand loyalty, which you kind of mentioned, is something that I was thinking a lot about when right. I was watching this and thinking about why is it that people were really kind of obsessed with these films and are like just willing to just like go to bat for them. Like it doesn't make any sort of fucking sense. And, and then I, I figured out, I was like, oh, it's all about like brand loyalty and the way in which... Star Wars mug, we- literally holding a Star Wars <laughs> mug. As we in Amer- as Americans don't really have community i don't know yeah we don't have any community so we're just kind of like loyal to our brands but yes this film is is exhausting it also reminded me of something that we didn't talk about the last time how hot uh, everybody in dawn of justice is what was that how hot everyone in dawn of justice is oh everybody here is beautiful yeah oh my god no no no. but also also just thinking so last time we didn't get i think because i was listening to the episode we didn't really delve into it but and hear me out because i i I usually say this as a joke (laughs) But I mean it. But the ways in which also, I mean, not entirely, but the ways in which this film and the previous film are in some sort of way dealing with certain kind of like American traumas and yes. perhaps like the American trauma of like 9-11. Mm-hmm. And that there's this kind of sense of like this constant like replaying of that trauma and of like that horrible event. But that there's no sense of like a resolution or there's no sense of really confronting it because there's no attempt to really confront the like historical political dynamics of that kind of event. Can I? So even like, sorry. So even just think about like this, this like one, the another really terrible thing about this film is that the villain is so fucking bland. And generic. Yeah. So generic. And I'm like. That is like one of those instances where you're like, this is where there's, you could point to this this film and a lot of films like it and say like, there's no sense of any sort of kind of imaginative power or will here. They're just like, oh, let's create this like, let's right. bring this like mythological thing called Steppenwolf. Well, you know, one thing that I was thinking about a little bit in, re- I, have a, I have a bunch of things I want to talk about, including I actually think that like watching all these films in order um made me think a lot about like we joke about you calling things reactionary but i think that something mm. this movie is so reactionary like unbelievable react unbelievably reactionary at least from my point of view but one thing that i think about in relationship to that is i think that i remember speaking of brand seeing the last jedi for the first time and there's that moment early on in, in the last jedi that has such cognitive dissonance the first time you see it where brendan um gleason who's so good as um Oh, sorry, not Brendan Gleeson. Dom Hall Gleeson, his son, is so good as General Hux, has the bit where he's like, tell that crew, like, we're going to fire on him. Like, he has, like, the big sort of, like, empire speech. Mm-hmm. And then Oscar Isaac's like, I'm still holding for General Hux. And, like, it takes oh, yeah. it takes the wind out of the sequence because we so often need to buy into these villains as legitimate in order for them to be scary. And so the fact right. that Rian Johnson, like... You know, we're not here to talk about how amazing The Last Jedi is, but the, the the fact that he's willing to play with it in that way, I think is probably so offensive to people that like need to take the legacy of these movies seriously because he's like, it's just a white dude wearing black clothes who's like, and like, I wish that Whedon, he did that a little bit with Loki. Like, I think he found a human characteristic in the Loki character in Avengers. And there's just no room for that in this movie. And it's so disappointing that like, we can't have a villain who's kind of a real person 
in these movies because if we were we would have to consider a little bit like what they might mean and i yeah and i think that that speaks to the kind of we were force fed in our culture this like the big baddie but we're never asked to reckon with what they actually could mean and i think that you know you can accuse as you've pointed out you can accuse um Nolan of doing that very, very much so in The Dark Knight and then over leaning on origin story in The Dark Knight Rises. Like, I think that that's true in those movies, too. Yeah. And not to sound also just like somebody who's almost in their 40s, but also like there is something to be said about like an like an actual human actor on the screen. Yes. That one can, let's say, relate to or at the very least have some sort of affective relationship to. And to just watch this ridiculous like long extended cutscene from a like a Nintendo sixty four game <laughs> battle yeah. with these with these heroes. Who and some of them are just like not I'm sorry, like Gal Gadot is not like the greatest actress. And to have her like she's not very some good of her in this. lines. Yeah. Yeah. And like this it just it's it's so to, it's so fucking to push dry. back on that a little it's bit. So I think that there's a weird line with Wonder Woman. I one thing this movie doesn't do anything with, but you know, one thing that I love about the Avengers film is that it sets up the fact that these people are um have to work have to find a way to work together. And this movie kind of and it, they do a good job in that. This movie kind of gestures at that. And one thing that I like is the kind of tension between like technologically minded Bruce Wayne being like, we have to use whatever technology we can to defeat this guy. And Wonder Woman's kind of like more salt of the earth, kind of like, no, technology is just another tool. Like, I think that's really interesting. But the problem is that writing, that they don't, sign of similarly to, what's his face, Steppenwolf, they don't really allow her any real humanity in this movie. She's like a, she's Mm -hmm. like an ideal. She's like the idea of a, of a, of a of a pure person so and gal gadot can personify that really well but she has to give these long longish four to five line speeches about this kind of stuff that no human would be ever be able to say so i don't know like i think that what's one of the good things about the wonder woman film is that it, it makes an attempt at least to humanize her and like they're just not interested in that in this at all and it's disappointing it's funny you should say that though, because I also thought at some point it's like, oh, her character is one of the only characters that has a real and a real motivation in this film, because this guy or this creature slaughtered a whole bunch of Amazonians, right? To get that mother box, so she's one of the only. And I'm not saying it works well; it doesn't. But she's one That's of the only point, ones though. that has some sort of kind of motivation to really kill this thing. Um. Can we let's can I no please can I just briefly ask why you thought I'm just curious I'm not saying you're you're wrong but you're wrong no <laughs> but why you, uh, do you think this film might be more reactionary than the previous one because I'd never thought about it well there's that line in the last one where Batman's like how many good people are left in this world and it's not in response to anything but these movies create this monolithic idea of the world is always getting worse and there's a line in the middle of this movie where Alfred, who works for a billionaire, who is not at all played as a servile character in this movie, he's played as like Batman's like main man. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne and Alfred are on his like private jet, like drinking in this like Ikea designed nightmare or this like, like, like it looks like a cave, but it's a place. And they're doing tons of coke. They're like, well, they're taught they I think they're drinking and they're talking about, um, there's this line in it where, Alfred says to Batman, I don't recognize this world. I'm sorry. Alfred says to Bruce Wayne, I don't recognize this world. And uh, Bruce Wayne says, me neither, but we have to save it. And the problem is that we're meant to understand that is because Superman has died, our beacon of hope is gone and there's nothing else left. And that's so reactionary to me because it's pointing this image at like, well, this like deity, this like hero figure, this prophetic character is gone. The world is in terrible shape, but we're hearing this from like two wealthy white dudes on a private jet and the problem with that is that the wrong i don't it's fine that that exists in the world the problem is that that's going to be read by like people that love this movie not all of them there are plenty of like there are plenty of people that just love superhero movies but it's so reactionary because it speaks to a mindset that's like not interested in cause and effect but wants their feelings about the world validated and i i think that 
at the very least, the reason the Bat, the Dark Knight movies feel less reactionary to me is that those kind of statements are rooted in a concrete thing that happens in the movie. In other words, like at the beginning of the third film, we have this really interesting, at least I think it's an interesting idea of like, they've created this Dent Act. And the Dent Act is, you know, has put a lot more people in jail and we're supposed to believe that things are better but it's based entirely on a lie as all of these things are so there's actual tension in the things that people say in that movie which i think gives it a well there's still a definitely like you know we're still listening to law enforcement talk about how the world is quote-unquote better because more people are in jail probably mostly people of color in real and like poor people in reality at least there's like the possibility in that film to acknowledge that the, what the characters say is incorrect. Like if you have a little bit of imagination, you don't have to look at these like so-called these cops and these heroes as right all the time. This movie's entire preface is like the millionaire's right. He sees the world as always getting worse. And we're all, we're all supposed to kind of accept that because he's our, he's our quote unquote hero. There's no attempt in this movie at all to get a reaction from, to get an opinion or an idea of the world from anybody that isn't like a beautiful white person. Yeah, you know, it's funny you should say that too because there's that one scene where the the Flash and Cyborg have that moment where he tries to give him a fist bump. Yeah. And he says like, he says like oh wait, like too racially charged. Yeah. And, and it's like one of the only moments in which there's a real kind of acknowledgement, not only obviously that the, the that Cyborg isn't white, but that there's like a kind of, society out there in which things like racism exist although i do have to say though there is also that earlier moment during that montage at the very beginning montage ooh, fancy film word where whereby um you see that like that like white uh kind of neo-nazi looking dude attacking the uh, muslim grocer yes that's a good point and i was like and it was at those moments i was like oh you know like i like i'm sure I'm sure Snyder's probably like a well-meaning like Hollywood liberal for the most part, but you know, like again, like he's probably on the right side of like like most social issues. But again, that there's a certain kind of, um, yeah, just a kind of uh, adherence or a really cheap kind of worshiping of certain kind of older traditional um, power structures and, mentalities. and values. Yeah, I do have to say I do have to say though that like I do think one thing that Armin White gets right, not in the sense that it makes these films good because these films are not good. Just for context, Armin White called this film a masterpiece. And it's and yeah, he's course, I think he's a pretty he's a pretty interesting writer. I don't agree with him, but I think he writes interesting things and I, I think Can I ask I'm sorry. I know we've discussed this. I think we've discussed this before, but just again, um do you is do he do you think he's being sincere? <laughs> I think that's part of the power of it. I really don't know. Um, I, 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 from what I, or do you think at this point? At this point, I think it's a gag. I think at this point, I think it's like a gimmick. Yeah, well, I think at a certain point you reach. Uh, he's not a dumb guy. He's smart and he knows how to, you know, get attention and and um, and and stay sort of a voice in the culture. He, you know, it might be it might be trolling, but I I, I also think it's he's one of he is a writer that really confronts the politics of of what he perceives yeah. to be the politics of things. And I think that's interesting. Totally. And there's not a lot of film critics that do that in direct way. Another example is someone like A.S. Hamra, who who writes really great. Um, he, he frames so much of his writing around contemporary issues that it's really, really interesting. Um, Sorry, wait, hold I on. Know. I just want to say the Erwin White thing. Um, just that I do think one thing that he gets right, at least about Snyder's kind of take on these characters, is that he does view them in very kind of mythological archetypal ways. So yes. that this is something that we talked about in a lot in the previous episode that I do think one thing that is successful, let's say about his take on Superman is that if such a character did exist, we would be constantly kind of in awe of the kind of power that this creature has. And I think that is one thing that he does, at least with that character where he kind of imbues him with a certain kind of, um, just like awe-inspiring um, feeling, right? That there's like this person, this creature is so fucking powerful. He he looks human, but yeah, he could like fucking destroy the world. But I'm not saying I'm not saying it adds up to anything. I'm just saying that there is like a take on the character that is. Well, I think the, be- the sort of the best thing about these movies is the idea of like there are gods among men, and and how do we how do we deal with those? And I think there's a lot of room for that to have something to say about our contemporary. You know, could could superheroes function as commentary on on billionaires? I don't know. Like it's it, there's there's a lot of room for 
something to for it to do something that ultimately this movie in particular i give is it, is it av blah, 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 blah. av blah, blah, blah. av club's review of the of this film is a little bit like you know if i were to sum it up and there's there's something interesting that comes up in that um regarding the politics but the first thing they say is like man we'll take schneider's like you know sort of like fascism 101 over this like lack of clarity in point, terms of a point of view like this movie is nothing yeah it's like a assembled piece of like taking the bits from we talked about it it's like we didn't hear why didn't we didn't why didn't whatever why didn't Wyden humor meets schneider like schneider nihilism and like at least schneider had a point of view i don't i don't know if i agree with that 100 percent, but it, it's just it just feels really like someone made soup but they put too much water in the broth <laughs> does that make sense and i uh yeah i'm i'm oddly getting hungry for like oh, soupy I love soup. soup i love soup <laughs> um did you did you want to say anything else about that before we moved on mm, i'm sure no i think that's i think i, I think we got it all, all right. i think we covered it all no um just some just where to go i want to really quickly talk about one other thing from <laughs> av club which is this is from the review which is like a c minus review i think c minus or something um from the av club there's even an interesting pointed observation about the relationship between Batman and Superman, namely in the notion that the godlike son of Krypton actually had more firsthand experiences of ordinary human life than the Dark Knight, who spent his entire life being filthy rich. There is a scene where Ben, where Ben Affleck, sorry, Bruce Wayne is like, you know, I can't lead them. Like, I need a guy who has lived, fallen in love, had a real life. And it's actually a totally underexploited thing because one of the interesting things about Batman is that his life was in a sense ruined um, for him as a child. And how much of that is his own responsibility for not dealing with his trauma or using his trauma to beat the shit out of poor people um, Mm -hmm. instead of moving on and like maybe, maybe doing something productive in, in the world. Like the idea of, bat Superman living a decent life and Batman living a, what I would describe as like kind of a really problematic life. Like there's something to that, that, that the movie never does anything with, or that it yeah, almost yeah. never happens in, in a, in a, in the way that we often can confront and deal with Batman and Superman. Yeah. And, yeah, and I mean, that's, again, that's like the limitation of like these, again, these corporate products, right. That they really have to um, regurgitate the same kind of narratives, the same kind of takes. Otherwise the fear of like, losing 300 million dollars which this film fucking cost 300 million dollars it's gonna cost more and it's gonna cost 20 to 30 more more. um good god and to think about just kind of yeah the need again to just regurgitate something safe but obviously by doing such you create like an absolute shit film you know there's there's one scene in this movie or there's not even a scene in this movie that really really works there's a couple moments that work for me um but one thing that works really well is that there's a very brief scene probably 25 30 minutes in the movie between Martha Kent and Lois Lane where for some reason mm-hmm. Martha Kent has left Smallville and is in Metropolis and she just has like a conversation with Lois Lane and I forget what the line is but Amy Adams gives like a little look to her and it makes you go like god these movies don't deserve Amy Adams like she's so good in <laughs> in, in everything she does and she's on screen in this movie for like seven eight minutes at most and the reason I bring it up is because Man, when it when I was when 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 you think about like sort of the masculine images of this movie, like Batman as billionaire and and how we confront that kind of stuff, one of the things that stuck out to me about this movie is how traditional, in a negative yeah. way, the women are treated in this movie. Yeah, this also, and we didn't talk about this in the last episode too, but in the last episode, she. She has to be saved like three different times. Yeah, I think, and she she basically plays the role of like the woman who's there to remind the dude of why he should be doing the thing he needs to do. There's a moment in this movie after he comes back to life where they fly to Smallville to the family farm, which has been you know seized probably by a bank, and she <laughs> she says that she she apologized to him for not uh, it, it like at least to me it was unclear. <laughs> Is she apologizing because she like took a few months off from being like a hard hitting journalist after her husband died? For a second, I wondered if maybe she cheated on him. Oh yes, I, you know it's funny. I, I think this. It seemed like it seemed like it could be read either way. And how well, it's, exactly? It's not, it's not cheating. He's dead. And how many? But that's the thing. Like, 
you can it's there's something unless she fucked like brainiac or something oh, i hope she she just fucked that peter sarsgaard head <laughs> i just like I, she's, she's like listen i gotta tell you something She's like, I fucked the guy. He's like, oh, I get it. You know, I was. You thought I was that. It was Brainiac. This is unacceptable. <laughs> Listen, what happened is I was making out with Brainiac, and he said, "Release the Schneider cut," and I came a little. And there's nothing I can do. <laughs> from but from but the yeah. Adventures of Superman, four eighty seven, Lois Lane I, fucks Brainiac. A guy comes back to life. <laughs> Sorry, this took a minute. Took me a minute to get there. <laughs> a guy comes back to life. They fly to a field, and the first thing that happens is like his successful girlfriend. He's a fucking alien. He's like. It's like, hey, you bitch, did you cheat on like, me while I was dead? Like, the first thing is, like, like it's like this fuck? idea that, like, she has to immediate apo- immediately, immediately apologize to this guy for existing. Yes, yeah, yes. It's, it's, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it is, I forgot about it. And I was like, that's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. And, you know, one thing we, we talk a lot about, like, about masculine roles in this film, what we don't talk about is, like, feminine roles through a male gaze. And this movie has, like, because, you know, every filmmaker that's, we've, everyone that's directed a batman film has been a, a white dude um and they have varying degrees of success in how they portray women i mean even mm-hmm. even the so-called strength of catwoman in batman returns is like as you pointed out is perverted a little bit by this like girly kind of thing that she does throughout the movie and this film just like it doubles down on that like the idea that the female character spends most of the film feeling guilty that for nothing is just so like really, really retrograde to yeah. me. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Yeah, um, and I don't really understand what if what if anything they're doing with Wonder Woman beyond. Yes. there's also a whole bunch of. I mean, well, and listen, Gal Gadot's beautiful, also, but a lot of it is like gawking at her. A lot of the f- she, photography of her. But, but she also spends a lot of time being like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of this guy I used to love. Oh, yeah, that also reminds me oh, of yeah, this guy yeah, I used yeah, to yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a good it's, point. It's like it's like that guy fucking died like 80 years ago. <laughs> right, which is something <laughs> they the talk f- about in the movie a little bit. Like, <sighs> like she would be over it. And you wonder how much of this is an issue of, of what already existed in the material and how much of it is, is um, Whedon being like, shit, I got three months until this movie has to come out. Like, which you can see in every aspect of the production. Like, it doesn't, it's not a very good looking movie at all. There's some nice looking bits in it. But like, I honestly think that um, Zack Schneider is a better maker of action and visual sequences than Whedon is. And you can, I, I, agree, I, mean, yeah. I don't know what is what in it, but um just something to think about. Um, Although also the way, sorry, the way in which. God damn like, it, George. That's right. Apologize. I've been dead for pe- a year. <laughs> People uh, like, set, like, like um, shared some screenshots of like Batman v Superman. I think when the news was really, was revealed that the cut, the new cut was dropping in a year. And there were like literally screenshots from that film that some of them looked cool, but there were also certain screenshots. It just looked like, brown sludge yep. like smeared a- across the screen right. and i'm like what the fuck are we looking at and how do people think that this shot let's say that is composed in such a way where it just looks like seven or eight different kinds of browns laid right. on top of one another like it's not a fucking rothko it no it's not supposed to be an impressionist painting it just looks like shit looks and people are bad. like that shot is beautiful i'm like you are out of your fucking mind like just out of your mind, but he does ha- he does have an interesting visual. Sorry, he does have an interesting visual at times, um, kind of vitality to him. I'm not saying that, but I think I mean, I mean just... again, it's like you said in the last episode. He may not have vision, but he has style, and I think that's true. Right, and, you know, but again, it's like a lot of it feels very retrograde. I also this is a very a small thing, at least to me, but. The men are so manly in this movie, with the exception oh, of... Oh, they're manly. The manly man, are. except for Flash. And it feels like there's that bit where he's like, I, I don't, I'm scared of everything. And Batman's like, save one person. And yeah. Flash is like, what? And he's like, save one, and you'll know. And it feels like, again, these are superhero movies. I get it. But the idea that like in order for a beta male to be like be a man he has to save someone like he has to be a hero is so like this is the this is the uh, it's, uh, this movie doesn't even play or acknowledge maybe it does with batman a little bit it doesn't play at all as you said with the idea that like maybe the idea of being a hero is complicated that's not even mm-hmm. something this movie has on its mind despite it having the most problematic 
problematic hero in like all of mainstream superhero dumb it's like no if you save someone you're good and like it's so driven by this idea of like being a man means being brave and fighting as opposed to being like, no, I'm scared and I want to run away. Like it just doesn't, I don't know. It, it bothers me that that's our, that, that flashes kind of like weirdness has to be like shaped into a, a sort of like maleness. It's funny though, because I actually thought that, uh, I mean, I, I sort of agree with you, but I also thought like, Oh, it is kind of captivating or at least different that you do have a hero who's, Basically, like his job is just to save people and not to fight the bad guy. I like that a lot, and it's a good, it's a, it's a good choice. I like that they have different responsibilities. The Avengers films did that really well. And I do think, even though, I mean, my God, that again, do we, do we? It's, it's twenty six, it's twenty seventeen. Do we need another fucking joke about brunch? Like we get it, people go oh, to brunch. Oh no, I, I'll take any any joke about about bougie brunch. I love it. Like oh I, I'm sitting God. there, just like, yeah, this guy's a this guy's a, bo- a proletariat hero taking down the the. <laughs> like, oh the, yeah, fuck yeah, the, fuck the brunch. bourgeois, like, the bourgeois capitalist of, machine of brunch. Of, glad I got out of Brooklyn, where everybody's just having brunch twenty four seven. Um, but he is I, Ezra brunch. Miller. Ezra Miller is the best part of this. Uh, film also kind of a problematic guy so it's like there's a lot i've heard yeah Yeah. (laughs) um i don't i have to say this i think this is the most forgettable superhero movie we've seen so far you know what i i literally spent and i did this kind of on my own trying not to start to film again but i literally spent today 15 minutes thinking i was like what what's the cold open to this film? And it took me, and it could be, it could be that quarantine has completely utterly annihilated my memory and my attention span. But I had just seen this film yesterday and I had just started it again. And two hours later I was like, what's the opening sequence again? It's, it's Superman on the iPhone, right? Oh, he, oh, you're right. It is. Yes. But also the Batman thing. But, but yes, what, even before the Batman thing, is the Superman thing. What's the thing, point yeah. of that opening? Because it never, like, I like them. I like the idea of them being like, what's the best thing about Earth? And then it cuts away. Like, that's interesting. And then they do nothing with it. It barely ever comes back. And again, it's this like, do you remember when he flies in and he like punches Steppenwolf and he's like, my idea is justice. And you're like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> what is justice? I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I, it would be awesome, though, if they sat down and they read Plato's Republic before getting together. Like, this is a Justice League, but what is justice? I just feel like this is a... a Polymarchus a, says that justice is <laughs> paying back your debt. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, that would be cool. Yeah. Um, I'm just... Uh, I'm profoundly upset that, again, I don't like Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, but at least it isn't this, like, unmolded piece of Plato that mm-hmm. doesn't do anything at all um, like this movie does. I, I just don't. So that being said, um, the Schneider Cut, uh, which I don't really think ultimately existed, is now they're going to spend 20 to $30 million. It could be as long as four hours, four hours in length. Wow. I don't know what really is going to be there, but I am, I'm going to say it. I'm actually sort of interested in it. I'm curious to see what that is. Well, as a cultural product, it's certainly interesting. But I do also really lament the fact that some of the worst people in the world uh, are getting exactly what they want. And I didn't read the article, but there was an article today um, stating this very same thing. Yeah. Just about like, this is <laughs> this isn't necessarily setting a good precedent. <laughs> well, I think that when I was listening to The Big Picture, which is a really good episode or part of their episode this week is on this. And they talk about a couple things. They talk about how like there are people that just legitimately want the movie there. Then there are the kind of like Internet troll terrorists who can't have an exchange on that hide behind like Batman images that will not have a real conversation with you about what the movie is. Um, but there's also this idea of films not being films anymore and becoming like quote unquote content. Yes. Like yeah. in the example they give, and they don't, they don't say this negatively because this is not a negative example, but um, a year ago when uh, Quentin Tarantino re-edited the hateful eight and it became like a four episode series on like, at least that was like a real re- recontextualization of what that is. But the precedent that's being said of being like, that's not the right version of the movie. Here's the right version of the movie when really on some level, this is just another way to get people to sign up for a content stream yeah. is a little disappointing. And I don't really blame Zack Schneider. Zack Schneider was going to finish this movie. Something horrible happened in his life. And 
he wants to complete the movie like that's totally fine it's what it as you said might mean for the culture well also i mean we've it's crazy to think now we've reached the point where it's not just even enough about let's say rebooting or making different films with the same characters but now we're just kind of like rebooting the same films right and there's there's room to talk about the idea that maybe the constant feeling of victimization that people have created for themselves around a superhero movie is um sort of astonishing so yeah i don't see myself revisiting this this version of the movie but i i will watch the snyder version and i'm gonna push that we talk about it when it comes out at some point if you will if you will um if you will uh indulge me well, if we're still around, if we're still around as a civilization, oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be more like the dream sequence from uh, Batman v Superman: God. Dawn of Justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're, okay. like, we're in a bunker. So we. God, now now I'm actually hoping for civilizational collapse because we won't have to get that for our film. <laughs> what a rave review! Um, that I feel like that's it. That's all we, I have to say about um, Justice League. You. Yeah, I think that's about it. There was something else that I wanted to say, though, in relationship to the to the re-release of the cut, but now you, I'm just kind of blanking. The re-release of what? Uh, of the film, sorry, of the, like the new cut. What, that's what film? Out. The sh- what cut? The the Schne- this this film, Justice League. But what? I, what there was something else. What's I, the name of the cut? The Schneider <sighs> cut. No. <laughs> oh. Um, Damn it. Well, we can Damn maybe it. we can we can get Boiled. there later later on. Um, Perhaps. Uh, next next up. In a couple weeks. Yeah. You know what I'm excited about, George? I, I feel as though our um, emotional... I mean, we were in the middle of a weird time in, in human existence, but um, I feel like our energy and enthusiasm for the films has um, reflected the cultural experience of these movies, where in 1989, everyone was like, a Batman movie? This kicks ass! And um, that lasted maybe through The Dark Knight, and then the, we started to get a little bit of fatigue around The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, and then we've just spent the past six weeks being like, I don't want it. So I'm excited <laughs> because I feel like the next two things we're going to talk about are movies, actual movies. Yes. Yeah. One is Lego Batman, and we're going to have Matthew Kroll from the only podcast about movies come talk to us about that. And then what are we closing the season with? Oh, we're going to discuss, talk about Lightning Rods, um, the Joker film from just last year. Right. With, with our friend. From the Other Men Need Help podcast, Mark Pagan. Who texted me the day the film came out and said, did you see Joker? And I said, no, it came out today. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> so, and he was like, oh, we got to talk about it. So I'm excited to uh, to talk to him yeah, about that. Um, excited to hear what Mark has to say. And then, um, and then um, oh, also, if you, if, you, if you haven't gotten enough of us, this week we were, or a couple weeks ago now when this gets released, we were on All the President's Minutes the podcast hosted by our our the hardest working man in movie podcasting Blake Howard who released 45 episodes of his podcast while we were recording all the president's minutes is a one minute by minute dissection of um the, of the film the president's men by Alan J Pakula George that was fun right it was yeah it was a lot of fun um i think Maybe. i think I, I listened to a little bit of it yesterday I, I i felt like the the whole time i was like you were like saying really interesting things about like political history and propaganda and recent history and how films talk about that in the background and I was like, did you guys see Zodiac? Zodiac's good. <laughs> Zodiac is good. And it's definitely the best Fincher film so far. Bar none. Did you watch your Blu-ray yet? I did, yeah. I watched it like a week and a half oh, ago. So yeah. good, right? Or two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. It still fucking holds up. It's so good. The other the other uh, night, Emily, uh, my wife, my wife, <laughs> and I were, um, we were, I forget where we were. Uh, we were in our house. Where else would we fucking be right now? And she was like, "There's not a lot of basements." Were you at Spago? You were at Spago. <laughs> she was. She actually said out loud, uh, not related at all to the film. Like, I feel like there's not a lot of basements in Southern California. And I stared Ooh. at her with like my like with goosebumps for like ten minutes until finally <laughs> she was like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Zodiac." Um, and on the, all the president's men, we announced the next season of the show, which we have not announced on the podcast yet. Whoa! What is season four of Overbusters going to talk about? We are- we're going to look at, I'm really fucking excited because we're back into the realm of art house cinema with the films of Kurosawa and Mifune. Akira Kurosawa so look, and Toshiro yeah. Mifune. We're going to look at their 16 films, their collabor- collaborative work. Yeah, and we're going to have some really great guests for that. Um, I think we'll do a, a mix of, yeah, of course, we're going to do a mix of um, some solo episodes, meaning uh, George and I, I guess some duo, duo? 
duel Ooh, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. episodes and then we're gonna have some great guests um and it's interesting you know we'll, we'll do an, a uh, probably an intro episode on this but um we it's interesting to think of those as art house films because they certainly have that label but i also feel like in some ways kurosawa and mifune invented like every contemporary genre of filmmaking that's genre specific mm. and i think that'll be interesting to talk about i'm so excited i love i love those two guys and i there's a few films i haven't seen that i'm excited about um i have to say there's a lot of films i haven't seen so i'm excited to fucking yeah yeah, yeah totally it's gonna be great and then we'll have some more announcements in the future um and links to everything we talked about will be in the show notes please rate review and subscribe to the show we have to oh should i read our new reviews should i read our new reviews is are there, new there are reviews? two new reviews on, do it on, um, yes what do you call it on uh, uh itunes and these must be about my sultry velvety voice i yeah. can't wait george's voice george, this review says george can you say schneider cut <laughs> i will not do it because say schneider cut say it Schneider. Cut. Um, all right. This first one is from May 7th from Claude Fergus, who gave us five stars and said, For film podcasts, look no further. Uberbusters is one of my favorite film podcasts because it's a perfect balance of thoughtful discussion without devolving into unbearable self importance. Mm, well, agree to disagree. Both boasts are intelligent <laughs> while maintaining a healthy dose of humor and self-deprecation. They pack I don't know if both of both Yeah, of it, us but both are seems like a stretch and healthy. Yeah. He also says healthy. I don't know how healthy we are. <laughs> they pack more into an episode that's under an hour than most of the bloated 1 to 3 hour film podcasts out there. Yeah, that's right. We're looking at you podcast. I'm Damn not going to name. Um Let's hurry up, by the way, because we're at 52 minutes right now, so we got to we got to get under the hour. What do you Okay, I'm I'll, we have 9 minutes. <laughs> oh, Although, uh, yeah, otherwise Claude's review will be in vain. I subscribe to a lot of film podcasts. Uberbusters is one of the only ones that I listen to in full every week. That's very, very... Th- thank you, Claude Fergus. Yeah, that's really nice, actually. And then the other review is from May 14th, 2020. It's from Lauren Style, who I happen to know is a New York City playwright. Um, and I've directed one of his plays. So that's how I know him. Um, but we haven't talked in a long time. So I really appreciate him giving us five stars and saying, really thought out commentary. Very entertaining. And he awesome. has Thank a you, podcast, Mark. Lauren. Oh, I heard Lawrence. Lauren. I heard Mark. I don't know. Uh, he has a podcast <laughs> called. You're still thinking about our friend Mark Pagan. Mark Pagan. I don't blame. He's a great guy. He's the best. Um, he has a podcast called What We're Into, which uh, is available online, and they talk a lot about superhero uh, Marvel stuff. So that's cool. All right. Well, I don't want to. You know, I'm worried we're going to go another eight minutes. So I guess we better wrap up the gotta, episode. Um, hurry up. Anything else? No. Oh. Um, that's about it. If you have questions, comments, things you'd like us to discuss, please email us, uberbusters at gmail.com or get in touch on Twitter, uberbusters. And we will, if we can, we will devote an episode to your good questions like we did recently with um, the termite episode. The termite episode. <laughs> termite episode. Uh, I'm Liam Billingham. I was Yerasimus Fragopoulos. And Jerry, we miss you. This was... Uvra. <laughs> Wait, say Snyder cut, Snyder cut, Snyder cut, Snyder cut, Snyder cut, Snyder cut. I love you so much. Oh God, I'm gonna fuck, I'm gonna fuck the Snyder cut.